This is episode 104 with Dale Backus. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Hey guys, this is episode 104, Crowdfunding Uncut. I have the pleasure of speaking with Dale Backus today. And we started talking about a year ago when you approached me with an awesome crowdfunding project that actually got put on hold, but (laughs) they want to work together. And like, you know, after a few back and forth email exchanges, eventually get on a call and uh, you're really... A really cool case. Like this guy won the Doritos Crash, the Super Bowl contest, not once but twice. And this is a contest where you have to create a Doritos commercial. So the consumer creates a commercial, submits it, got in the top five, eventually became a finalist for it, and won. And their ad got showed on the Super Bowl for was it two consecutive years with two different videos? Uh, they were consecutive, but I think it was we skipped one. Yeah, Man, it's amazing. And you actually use the earnings from this competition to fund a startup. And yep. that startup is now doing over $20 million a year in revenue. Um, right. If you're wondering what the startup is, it's Small HD. They're a camera accessories company. And just like, wow, talk about big wins for a young age. Um, how old are you now? Not 21, I hope. 31, but going on 32. Wow. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting close to that. But uh, yeah, just super impressive track record. And now, you know, you and I are working together on a new project. And um, I was like, dude, let's get on this podcast. Actually, you you came to me first for this. But still, <laughs> I'm really excited for today because you have real world experience of taking a company from literally nothing, mm-hmm. self-funding it, and going on to do multi-million dollars in revenue. So eight figures in 10 years, which is like awesome. Yep. So if people are listening, they're like, awesome. So he's really experienced and why is he doing crowdfunding? Well, the reality is that what we wanted to do is we wanted to um, have an episode where it's like, you've taken a company from zero to eight figures. And now that you're starting from zero again with a new brand, what are some of the things that you're going to apply from your learnings that you make sure you don't make the same mistake? Because a lot of people listening to this podcast are just newbies starting out and they don't really know what's um, part of the road ahead. And if we can help equip them even better. So that's what today's about, but I'm going to shut up. Um, Dale, <laughs> I'd love to hear like from the horse's mouth, what, why at 21 years old, you wanted to become an entrepreneur and how did you focus? How did you decide to start a camera and accessories company and just like start your journey? Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, as the this typical entrepreneur story goes, um, I, I think everyone can probably say this. I had an entrepreneurial spirit from early age. You know, I was always buying and selling. You know, I like hawked Beanie Babies for a while. I had like a golf ball selling business for a while, kind of all throughout my life. Um, so when it came time to graduate high school and figure out what, I, what the hell I wanted to do with my life, um, instead of, you know, doing my dad what I mean, do and force me into college, I just decided to 
figure it out first, you know, and, and, and just in that process, you know, my best friend Wes and I at the time were both interested in video, just shooting videos. And you know, he was, he grew up doing it. He was very, very talented at it. And I was just interested in it. Um, and, uh, and so we said, Hey, we should start this little production company, you know, like we were both working nine to fives, just kind of doing whatever. Um, and, uh, we just, we wanted to do something on our own. We always had, and we knew we had the, the, the skills to do it. Um, but it was just a matter of money. It's always a matter of money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so we started this little, this little production company called five point productions and, and, um, and man, like selling a service like that is not the business that like, I, I don't recommend it, you know, and it's, it's kind of what you do, I guess. So service. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, yeah, but it's, it's, yeah. It's like you're always having to find that next job, right? Like products, you, you make a product, you put on a website and it's just kind of this expected you know, run rate, right? Where, where a service company, you have to go out and sell that service, you know, and, and it's, and when you're selling videos for a living, it's, it's very much that, especially when you're selling to businesses. Um, mm. and, and, and so, you know, we really struggle with it because, how do we get that next job? Oh, the next job was always just this bear, this weight bearing down on us. Um, so we had a couple of things did a couple of like local car ads, which were just the worst. Um, and, uh, and we were trying to just figure this out and the Super Bowl commercial thing came along and I was online, saw the ad and I was like, this looks fun. You know, it's, this could be an opportunity. It's a long shot, but you know, why not? And it was four days from the deadline. Um, when I, when I came, Ooh. yeah. So, um, we were like, yeah, let's do this. You know, so we did that and we were young, right? So this is back when you could stay up all night, you had no responsibilities except for, you know, rent or whatever. And, um, and so we just, you know, packed it in and, and came up with the concept. We all loved, went out and shot it, went out and reshot it, you know, in four days and we got the thing together and we submitted it. And then, you know, you know, the story goes, we, we won um, that con. That was the first year of Doritos crash Super Bowl contest. And it was uh, the first ever consumer sourced, um, ad contest, right? Like there were, maybe there were some, no, I think that was, was the first, it was like a pretty revolutionary concept at the time, you know, um, kind of before crowdfunding or anything, this was like consumer or a like crowdfunded ads or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so it was, it was a pretty unique concept and, and it was the first year of the, they, they ran it for 10 years. This was the first year. Um, and we won and, um, and that was crazy as you can imagine. Like it was, you know, for, uh, we were, I was 20, 21 or whatever, 19, I don't know how, I was really young. Um, and we won this thing and it was just, it was just, just unbelievable. Um, but then what it, what it did though, is, is it didn't, we didn't win a lot of money for that. What it did is it, it gave us notability or notoriety or whatever. And we we were able to, you know, leverage that into just business for five point productions. Hey guys, we have credibility, you know, we had a Super Bowl ad, um, and we had a lot of local, um, kind of local fame, you know, so we shot it like in this plaza, everyone knew, knew um, it's called Waverly Place. And I was like, hey, they shot that commercial there. And so they were coming to us. And and so we had some fun kind of making ads for people that weren't local car rides for a while. Um, but still like uh, kind of eventually that fame kind of started to, to, to fizzle out a little bit. Um, it came back to that. Okay, well, we have, definitely have more than what we started with, but kind of back to this grind of finding the next job. Um, and then in the process of, of running that company, um, we, uh, we had to continually elevate our production quality, um, of, of our videos, right. Cause we were getting bigger and bigger accounts and we had to get better and better. And we found this need for this, this display, um, we needed to be able to plug in our HD camera at the time into something that we could monitor with. There wasn't really anything out there. Um, and so I've always been kind of an inventor as well. I've always just like building things mm-hmm. and, um, figured, you know, we can just build something like this, you know, it can't be that hard. So did back then, you know, this is kind of before Alibaba or at least Alibaba was very, very, um, in its infancy, I think I'm not quite sure, but anyway, went out there, figured out how to build this thing. And I was like, this is a lot more fun. I like, like, I love creating physical products. That's like my thing and over the years. Mm-hmm. It's, um, kind of known for is it. because it's become the thing that I really love doing. Um, and I, I could tell immediately that I was going to like selling a product a lot more than a service. And so I kind of edged the guys and said, you know, we should go and try to launch this, you know? Um, and so we built that product and then, um, I don't know how detailed you want me to get here, but it's eventually we, um, launched this company called small HD, which was building these displays. And what's crazy about small HD is today, if you want to start a tech a company that develops and manufactures its own technology. The stuff we make today is basically like a smartphone. Like it has, <laughs> it's a very complex With piece. 
capabilities and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Wireless connectivity. It's got a high-res display. It's dealing with video inputs and outputs and all. It's just it's a very complex piece piece of technology. And so the fact that we started this company organically with no funding whatsoever, with no engineering department, um, and then and then grew it all in-house organically over the years to you know, now twenty million dollar revenue company is pretty crazy. But at the same time, um, you know, we 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 really struggle with cash the whole way through. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna. Yeah, go ahead. I just have something. I just want to um, interject there. So we got that very first base level where you have very little capital and you're developing these things in house. Can you? How did you fulfill? Like, what was that first sale for you? And how did you fulfill it when you didn't have? capital to buy inventory or development yeah. or like what was that can you tell me about that first sale yeah that, that's interesting actually so i mean it was the logical thing to do at the time um was you know, we, we kind of scrapped together our own prototypes right kind of like you would today yeah. um and after that you go crowdfund it and you get your money and you'd go buy the parts and you build them and then you start rolling right well we basically did the same exact thing just without kickstarter we crowdfunded it ourselves on our own website um, and we basically said, okay, but we, instead of 30 days, we, we did a 24 hour thing. We said, I went out there on all the forums and stuff that I was interacting with back then and, um, and said 24 hour pre-order for this thing we call a DP one. And, um, and we opened it up and we sold like 60 units, I think, which was there were a thousand bucks. So it was about 60, $70,000 in sales. The, that first, that first like order period. Whoa. Um, and, uh, and then the crazy, it just crowdfunding was so was so undeveloped back then that the mechanisms for this kind of behavior were, were kind of new and confusing. So we were using PayPal as the as the merchant, and um, this all this money just plopped in there one day, and then we went to go withdraw, and PayPal's like, whoa, 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 like you can't like what the heck's going on here? They thought it was something like fishy, and they wouldn't give us our money, and they basically had basically had to prove that that we had like sh- basically. They were they were going to release the funds when we gave them um, tracking numbers for the packages of the. It was just like this crazy thing. So because I don't remember exactly how we got the money, but we got the money. We ordered the parts, um, and and we were kind of off. And now we were just kind of building them, and, and orders trickled in. And some some weeks we would sell one, some weeks we would sell ten. You know, it was just kind of like super super slow. Um, but then when it came time to develop a real project, because that DP one, <laughs> that was just sheer force of will getting that thing built and shipped to people like we found all these parts from china about these various websites order them in and we literally had the circuit board we needed to fit inside this smaller case based on the display size mm-hmm. and saw these pcb circuit boards in half basically and we found out that didn't affect any of the functionality that we were using on the board so it was okay and there's all this crazy stuff but you know we, the bottom line is is we had an idea we built the prototypes. We, we established feasibility. Um, we established, you know, basic supply chain. And it's part of that process. We put up a website of the 24 hour order. We took the orders, we took the money, we bought the materials, we built the product and we shipped the product and that, you know, and then, then we just kept doing that over and over again. But then when it came time to um, like build a real product, uh, you know, we'd learned, a, we'd learned a lot in that process, obviously. That was like our, like, I had no engineering background whatsoever, right? And I did all the engineering for this thing. <laughs> so, you know, learned a tremendous amount, um, wanted to leverage it into this. We found this new cool display we wanted to build a product around. Um, but to build the board, the custom PCB board and do the software and everything required a minimum order quantity. We're all in the physical product world familiar with the MOQ, right? That's mm-hmm. like the bane of everyone's existence, like when it comes to startups. And um, it was like a 2000 piece MOQ in the, the boards were like something like a hundred bucks or something. So it was a big order. Just in uh, case people don't know what MOQ is listening to this. What is MOQ? Minimum order quantity. So with any manufacturer, um, you, when you're buying something in bulk, quote unquote, you usually MOQ associated with that. It's the difference between buying something in the store, you know, and buying something, you know, in a wholesale or whatever, right? Usually, to get that lower price that before you can resell it or whatever, you have to buy multiples of it, right? Usually yeah. it's minimum, minimum, minimum quantity of everything is like 50 or whatever. Um, but depending on the the investment that the suppliers to take to build these things, the minimum quantity can be higher or lower. Um, in this case, it was 2,000 pieces. So it was about $200,000 or $240,000 PO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't have that cash. 
And um, so this is right around the time the Doritos contest is coming around again. And uh, this is the third year, I think. And uh, we were looking at it and we were like, okay, well, the prize money is actually substantial this time. And if you, if the, the highest you can win, you can actually win a million dollars in this contest. Now, the year we did it, most you could win was 10 grand, right? Yeah. Now they've upped it because it was so successful. They've upped it to a million if you get selected, if you get aired, and if when you're aired, um, the USA Today ad meter ranks you as the number one commercial out of all the other commercials. You're not just competing against all the other Doritos commercials. You're competing oh. against all the Super Bowl commercials. And that's, you know, a pretty tough standard. Um, so anyway, you know, against against um, a lot of people's um, uh, wishes and, and recommendations, we went ahead and because that we were everyone was like, you need to focus on your business. Stop like get your head out of the clouds. Stop applying for contests you know you need to get down and run the business because this business was like a serious thing now um and uh we're like no we think we can do it so anyway we went and we did it long story short um we created two ads both ads were selected as finalists um and then one of those ads aired in the super bowl and that ad was ranked number two as the, in the ad meter right as the second best doritos commercial or, or super bowl commercial that year and we won six hundred thousand dollars um, that was like this. So it was a million for first, 600 for second, 400 for third. And um, in, the, in that year, the, the, the commercial who beat us was the, um, the, the, for the year that Betty White got really popular. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> she put up in the Snickers commercial and, 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 you know, admittedly it was very funny. And um, so they, they, they won and we came second. And um, so we used that, the 600K. The 600K had to be split up. But it was basically what Wes and I each we got just enough to place that order, and that's how we really got our business off the ground. Now, not we realize that that's kind of a Cinderella story, and it's not exactly something you can count on, right? But at the mm-hmm. same time, developing a technology manufacturing company is usually enormously cost intensive or cash intensive. Like it just requires so much cash, um, and unless you have really good terms with your suppliers. Um, or a really good line of credit or something like that. It's just, it's almost impossible to get something that, you know, with the bill materials, you know, in the hundreds of dollars um, and something you have to assemble and ship and support and everything out of one facility. I mean, there's just so much logistics to it. Um, and so anyway, that's how we, we launched the company and grew it over, I mean, so many ups and downs over the past eight, nine years. Um, yeah. We are, sold the company three years ago. Um, doing 20 million in revenue this year. And yeah, it's been crazy. And here we are. Um, I wanted to follow up on your um, comment on MOQ is the bane of every entrepreneur's existence that's in the physical mm-hmm. product space. So that's a big challenge with crowdfunding too, because you can, to a certain extent, if you spend X amount of dollars on ads, you know, relatively where you're going to end up on your final sales, but crowdfunding is, you just don't know where you're going to end up, yep. which means if you, if your MOQ or if your manufacturer you've selected says we need a thousand units for a minimum, what if you only get 500 units, it's going to jack up the cost per item. What mm-hmm. if you get to 2,500 units? So not MOQ is one thing, but then being able to know what to price your your product at so that you don't charge undercharge. Um, I'm wondering if you being in the space, do you, have you had any luck getting manufacturers to either get rid of the MOQ or be flexible or be able to uh, to get them to agree on certain pricing based on quantities going into it, just so you don't have the the case like I guess in crowdfunding where they promise you twenty dollars a unit with. 5,000 orders, but you can only order a thousand at the end of the day, which will then all the things, right? Yeah. No, to to answer your question, um, the thing about China specifically, I mean, most of my experience with China, there's all these other countries you can, you can actually manufacture in, but obviously China is the big one. Um, And the thing about China is they are so quantity minded over there and they'll, they'll do crazy stuff that makes no sense to us. Um, because they're going to save a penny or whatever, because in their heads, that penny multiplied by thousands is 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 real money. And, and they always have that quantity mindset. But in the thing that I've learned, and I've actually learned this fairly recently, is that um, A, relationships are very important to them. So, and they respect you 
most of the time a lot more than you respect them. I know it sounds bad, but like they just, the, the culture of respect they have over there is very different, right? For example, if you go to China, um, you'll, I mean, they will bend over backwards to make sure that you're accommodated, right? They'll drive you around. I mean, you'll have one supplier that you're meeting, but they'll drive you around all day to all your other supplier meetings. If, if you, if, if you need it, they'll book your hotel for you. They'll, I mean, they'll do, they'll, they'll take you to dinner and, and lunch every single day. I mean, that's just how they do it. Um, and as a result, if you, I really recommend, you know, when it comes down to choosing a supplier, um, that you, that you actually, if you can swing it, um, that you actually go meet them face to face because nothing beats that, right. That real relationship forming of that face to face meeting, um, getting to know the people behind, behind the computer screen is, is, is really, really invaluable because what that, what that buys you is the capital, the social capital relationship capital or whatever to, to number one, if everything's a lot more real, right? Like you're real, they're real. We know this isn't some scam or isn't someone trying to, you know, like get something like a one-off because a lot of people will just get samples because they're free, but then like, you know, never want a relationship past that. Right. Like, so Chinese people are kind of a, the Chinese suppliers are kind of aware of this. Um, and so they kind of, all those, those guards come down and now you're free to kind of have these conversations. And most of the time they will, if it's a good supplier, they'll work with you. And, you know, if you say, Hey, like, I can only do a hundred or 200 or whatever, but you know, but this, but this relationship is worth a lot to me. And I really want to, I really want to use you. Um, for example, they'll a lot of times say, okay, it's fine. I mean, the price might change a little bit, right. But sometimes you'd be surprised at how much you can negotiate. Um, we hear recently just, or we had some corporate policy come down the pipe where we're trying to, you know, maximize cash. And one way you do that is, is you get better payment terms, right? So most of the time with Chinese suppliers, it's like, 30% up front and 70% on delivery or 70% after, after manufacturing or whatever, sometimes 50, 50, it just depends. Right. Well, a lot of our suppliers now we have net 60 terms, which is, which is almost unheard of with, with the level of suppliers that we're working with because you know, they're, they're running on such thin margins that cash is just as much of a problem for them as it is us. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually to have no upfront, you know, payment for them to go run a batch or something is, is pretty crazy. So um, the company has to be healthy enough to do that. But the point is, is that if you ask for it, a lot of times you'll get it. I mean, it really just comes down to that just because it says MOQ 2000 on Alibaba. Don't, don't take that as scripture. Just, you know, just ask them to mm-hmm. say, Hey, I can, I can, I, I want to do a hundred. Can you do a hundred? If they say no, say, please. <laughs> and just, and <laughs> say, you know what I, mean? I mean, honestly, it's just, you just don't just, and the thing that's the one about entrepreneurship in general is there's always a solution hiding right in front of your eyes, um, whether you see it or not. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have an analogy for this. Like my wife plays a lot of words with friends. And so I've been playing with, um, with her kind of recently and playing Scrabble. Right. And, and I'm looking at, and like stare at this thing for five minutes. I'm like, I don't see anything. Right. Then like, there's this thing that can show you like what you had or whatever. And you're like, how did I miss that? That was literally sitting right there on my, in front of my face. But like, there's, there's, it's just in boggles the same way, right? You'll like be looking for all the words in the boggle cubes yeah. or whatever, and you'll see the words you missed. You're like, how did I miss? It was literally right there. Story it's the story of my life. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like solutions are all are all around and just in business in general, whenever you get trapped in a corner or when you ever get, you know, down and out or whatever, or you feel like there's no way out there usually is you just gotta get creative. You know, that's the most important thing. Now, I'm going to pause. We cannot forget to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the logistics, spreadsheets, and um, sorting customer data. Not only do they help make customer address changes super easy or changing rewards after someone has already bought, but the power is that they also help you um, do upsells and downsells and take care of all that. So if you don't have a system or platform already set up, um, they've already built that for you. And the best part, you can find them at backerkit.com, but they've actually um, created a discount code for the uncut listeners, which are you guys. So if you go to to uh, check out, use the code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T. They're going to give you 50% off of their startup services, which is amazing. Um, So if you want to keep selling and keep making money and stay super organized um, after your campaign, they are the guys to go to. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they are amazing. Again, backerkit.com. So the Doritos ad, the second one that you won, 600,000 is pretty epic your business is around because of that. What would you say is the second best 
decision you've ever made for <laughs> small HD? That's an interesting question. You didn't prepare me for this one. The heck? I don't script my questions. <laughs> um, Gotta be second, ready. Second best decision I've ever made. Um, I think the decision to stay focused is probably one of the best decisions we've ever made. I think along the path, there, there were a lot of opportunities to branch off on tangents or other verticals or whatever to say, you know, in our industry, the camera industry, right? We make displays, right? We make displays that go on cameras or around cameras. Um, but there's all this other, you'd be, you'd be amazed at the amount of companies that exist in this industry to make things you have no idea what they're for. Um, and because there's a lot of this camera support stuff and things that go around cameras to help cameras do their job that aren't the camera. Um, and, uh, and as a part of this industry, you know, we, we, our displays touch a lot of those things and, and our natural inclination is, oh, we could go make that and sell that. Um, and we've had some crazy ideas of things that we wanted to go off and make. And we actually spent a lot of energy and resource developing a lot of things that we wanted to go off and make, but ultimately decided just to stay focused on displays. Um, it's our, it's our, it's our core competency. Um, it's what we're known for. And we want, and like my, my, it's my general advice on this is if, if you're, you're in a space doing a thing, um, it's easy to get distracted by all these other little, you know, things dangling around you. Um, it's perceived opportunity, but I've always said until we dominate this space, I don't see why we would go off and do something else. We're not, we're not the market leader. We're not the revenue leader in this space. So why would we, you know, we're, we're definitely number two or three. So why would we go off and, and split our focus, right? When we haven't even achieved the primary goal of our primary focus. And, and so I think that's one of the, 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 the best decisions that one of the best decisions I've made here is, is just to stay focused on our primary mission, which is making the best camera top displays in the world. Um, and we're very close to doing that. If not, it's not really an, an, a measurable metric. <laughs> but uh, Yeah. What would you say to, um, to say you're speaking to a founder and he's like, okay, um, or she, whatever. Like, great, I'm preparing for a product launch and it's a crowdfunding campaign. You know, on a crowdfunding site, you have different price points and reward levels that people can buy. So sometimes people might say, okay, well, my product's $100, so I'll give a $100 perk. but then. I need something at a cheaper price. So I want to branch into t-shirts, mugs, accessories, right. blah, 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 which ends up splitting your focus. Yeah. Um, what would you say to someone who's like, I want to do that. And I think it's a great idea because it's additional revenue and additional items, which means I can get more customers. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I don't, I, just because that's the difference between swag and an actual like um, product mission or whatever. But just, just making swag is, isn't, you're not, you're not trying to be the world leader in t-shirts. You know what I mean? That's just an, that's like an accessory, right? We make a lot of accessories for our monitors that help user experience, that help grow the brand. Um, so I would say, you know, there's just limitations. And, and I think um, in that example, particularly, I think it's totally fine, you know, because there's not a lot, of, a lot of energy involved in specking a t-shirt, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really about how much, how much focus is it going to take away? And if it's, you know, I can't put a number on it, but if it's relatively small, but then the upside is, you know, brand development or, or customer loyalty or whatever, right? Then it's probably worth it. Um, it just, it's just, you know, as you know, you run a company. I mean, as an entrepreneur, as, as the, the sole wage earner for the company or whatever, you're, you have to just every day d- decide to work on the most impactful things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it, and, and I strongly recommend um, making sure there's good people around you because that's how you can accomplish those tangential things without splitting your focus too much because you're, you're the visionary. It's your job to lead the company down a path and, and accomplish a mission. Um, so if you're off spending all your time specking mugs and t-shirts, right, that's probably not the best thing. But if it's all you have to do is say, hey, you or whatever, go, go make mugs and t-shirts. Well, it took you 14 seconds to do that. But, and, you know, with the, with the potential flip side of, again, enhanced brand awareness or whatever um but it took someone that works for you or even a contractor to go do that work right yeah. i mean probably a good deal uh so yeah i would and, and that's kind of um one of my big lessons too is just people but i think we'll get into that later so yeah that's my next thing is like with 10 years of growing a company to a massive success you've made some great decisions obviously but there's also the flip side which are all the the not re- 
the regrets, their decisions you made that either distracted you or caused you to temporarily fail and whatever you were trying to go after. Um, and struggles ultimately. And these are things that first time entrepreneurs just don't, they don't know what they don't know. Right. Um, so I think what I'd like to do is focus on the beginning stages of your business because your challenges are going to be different from before 1 million after 5 million, totally different. Right. So as an early stage entrepreneur, when you were first getting started before that first million dollars or just early stage, what was the number one lesson you learned? Um, I, so in eight years or whatever of running this business, you know, and, and growing it, I think I've, I've, I mean, I, there's just an innumerable amount of mistakes that I've made. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you like how many times we were on the brink. <laughs> um, and, and, and so in reflecting on that, I spent a lot of time doing that actually, um, you know, and, and, it, and it kind of plays out almost every day, but I'd say, and, I, and anyone ever asked me this question, I think I have the, the number one, the golden rule if I were to have one um, about starting businesses is, is to hire with purpose and have a hiring strategy. So part of that is because there's a lot of things that you could say um, that are problems and things you should watch out for, but actually hiring properly will take care of like 80% of those things just naturally, if you just hire the right people, right? I cannot express to you strongly enough how important as the CEO or the, or the founder or whatever, like most of your time should be spent on developing and hiring people, like literally, because, because that's your lever, right? Your lever as Mm -hmm. a founder is people. Um, And, and it's, it really comes down to that. Um, So, so my, the things are only hire when absolutely necessary. Don't, don't hire because it's fun. When we started the business, like I loved hiring because I was like, oh, we're getting bigger, you know, headcount, headcount, headcount. Yeah. Um, I thought that was like a badge of honor. Like it was a, you know, like XP or whatever, like you're getting more company XP because you're, uh, because you're hiring more people. And then when people ask you how many people work for you, you can say, oh, wow, that's a lot of people. Um, But I'm telling you, um, hiring especially hiring the wrong people. So again, hire when you absolutely need to only and make sure, make absolutely sure that you're hiring the right people. That is the number one thing by far. Can you tell me a time when you hired the wrong person and learned this lesson? Yeah, I mean, I've learned it. Obviously you can tell I've been burned by this, right? So um, that's why I'm so passionate about it. And um, so when we um, first started, like, it's easy when you're, so when you're a founder, right? A lot, a lot of, of your job is to get people to believe in your vision. Um, and, and the smaller you are, the harder, the more energy it requires to do that. The harder it is to do that because, you know, like a lot of, you know, money talks, right? You're not making any, so you have to talk. Um, and, and if you're not good at convincing people to follow your vision, then it's going to be really hard for you. But um, in the beginning, so as a result, you, what you end up doing is hiring what's easy. You hire your friends, you hire your family because, um, if they're there and you know you're they're comfortable with them and they're they they know you and they have that that relationship so they and they know you're not crazy and they know you know you're <laughs> you're actually onto something and so they believe you a little bit more so it's easy to hire them but they may not be right for the job right and that and then you're just you're just you're just digging yourself a hole right and I'm not mm-hmm. saying family friends is always bad um, if it's a good fit that's fine um, but so we did is that was that's what we did in the beginning we hired a lot of friends and family like the first ten people were mostly friends and family. <laughs> Um, that made things very difficult later on down the road. And then when it came time to, um, I made the decision to develop our own products in house. Yeah. So up until that time we were outsourcing all stuff in China, I said, I want to, I want to own the development team here. Um, so I start, started building a team. Um, and I made very quick hires. I needed a director of engineering, went and found the first guy I found. I was like, Oh, you're hired, you know, and, and kind of that kind of stuff. And yeah. ended up building a team that, wasn't very good. And so, and so what happened was, uh, I had this vision for a product, um, called the DP seven and it was supposed to be this big revolutionary thing. Um, I had the wrong team trying to implement it. And as a result, the thing took three or four times longer than we thought it was going to take. It almost bankrupted the company. And basically when it came, it came down to the end, Lord, I was, it was, it was in October of some year. Um, and this product still like every month we thought it was going to be like that month. Right. And it just kept going and going and going. And we were running out of cash. We hadn't launched any new products in a long time. 
um, our, our inventory was aging, right? The, the perception of this thing that we had, we had announced to the world was dwindling every day. We still hadn't shifted. We had pre-orders we had been hanging on to for years. I mean, it was a total mess. Um, and so and we were literally about to just not be able to make payroll. And so I said, okay, here's what we have to do. I have this idea. I'm going to take, um, I'm going to take this, these boards from this product, these displays from this product. I'm kind of going to repurpose them, rehouse them. I'm going to wrap them in a new product and we're going to call those products the AC7. Um, and we're going to do it in three months, um, which is enormously ambitious for, you know, yes. uh, an electronic you know product like that. Um, and, uh, and so I worked day and night, you know, for the first month to get that going and, and that, and we, but we were able to do it. We, we launched a product and they were actually quite successful and we got, we, so the cash influx came and saved us. It dug us out of a hole. And so again, example of about hiring the right people. Um, and another example about, um, uh, you know, making sure that, uh, you're making the right stuff and making sure that, um, you know, you're just, you're just not getting ahead of yourself. You know, I think it's just, uh, kind of lost my train of thought there, but but you know, you get my point. What was my main point I was trying to make about hiring people? Yeah, hiring the right people. It's just, Having good strategy around that. Yeah, yeah it's just, and, and then as a result, we've now hired, you know, the team we have today, because as a result of that lesson, got rid of all those people, hired a new team, and that team's phenomenal. And it's made my life enormously easier. It's grown our company, like, you know, by leaps and bounds. And it's just, it's just funny. Again, it comes down to hiring. You hire the right people, your life, you're going to be a lot happier. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. I think too, for people who are super early stage, like just say you haven't even launched yet and you're talking about, okay, I need someone to help me with Facebook ads, someone to help me with admin, like the basic things when you're just getting started pre-revenue. I think biggest thing is people are like, well, I don't have big budget to hire certain people. And I, you know, that's where I was a few years ago. So I started out hiring, like outsourcing to the Philippines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And while I have nothing bad to say about them, they're amazing. However, because of, I guess, just the, the rate of pay, time difference and whatever, I found myself micromanaging mm-hmm. a ton. It's to a point where you would have to point by point lay out exactly what the deliverables are, exactly how to do the task or else it would just be nothing like what you need. So yeah. although, and this is an analogy to why you should spend the money on hiring the right people, because while it only costs you $7 an hour, how many additional hours are they creating for you and managing it? So yep. now I think my, like I've been able to grow my agency because I've, I just decided to work with North American staff, pay them well. And it's to a point where like my project manager does the job better than me because, yep. and I don't manage her. She, you know, like I'll just say, here's what I need done. And she does it. Yep. And there's and no micromanagement, right? Like, right. I mean, that's just- yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> ultimately you're hiring people to save you time. So yep. it seems backwards to hire the wrong people based on budget or whatever, because they may end up costing you a lot more time and headache long term. It's it's like it's just like you know building a house or hiring a contractor, right? You hire the cheapest guy, the bottom barrel guy. It's going to just end up costing more in the end, right? Because you're going to go back and fix all the crap that they did wrong. It's the same exact thing. I know. You know? This, you, you, and, and, and the thing you can't ever get back is time. So in, in the process of you hire these bad people and they start doing whatever job and, you know, number one, you have to go back and fix all their mistakes, but now you've lost all that time. And, and that's the unrenewable resource, right? We can't get that back. And that's, that's the worst of it. Um, and, you know, time marches on whether we whether we're doing well with that time or not. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, just higher, higher, higher. I mean, and it's, it doesn't, it's hard because as a, as a, as a founder or CEO, it's, it's hard to equate, like a lot of times, you, you know, the tasks you do every day, you want them to feel like they're, they're big meaty, like they're accomplishing a lot and sitting in, and scrolling through LinkedIn or, or whatever, right. All day doesn't feel very productive, right. Or doing interviews, which take forever, by the way, you know, doesn't feel very productive, but it really is like, it's just, it's just not, you just don't see it. Right. It's not like, you're investing your time. Exactly. Is what that is. It's a long-term investment, right? And it, it pays dividends for many years to come, but it just, it just, but it's hard because it's not giving you that immediate sense of gratification. Like, oh yes, I did this today. And as a role, I made more money or whatever. Um, right. And it, it's just like in the technology world, right? We had to build this platform and this technology platform by which all of our future products would operate on. Um, and it, again, it's like, 
building a foundation. If you build that platform incorrectly, um, you're, you're going to be totally screwed because building a foundation is a massively costly endeavor. You do it the wrong way, then you have to redo it, um, or your products will lose their competitive advantage or whatever, right? If you do it the right way, it's going to pay massive dividends um, over the course of many products life cycles, and hiring is the exact same way. You want to hire the foundation of your of your talent pool or whatever the proper way because it's going to pay mm-hmm. you massive dividends um, over years to come. If you hire it the wrong way, it's just it's just going to ruin everything. One hundred percent. So, for sake of time, I'm going to ask you what your apart from hiring the right people, what your second um, uh, struggle was and. Yeah. Yeah, I struggle with this kind of going between two things, and they're, and they're somewhat related, but they're also two very different things. Um, so I'll hit them both real quick. Um, so number two and three are um, don't over-optimize um, too early, right? Like it's very easy to want to do things the right way, almost to a fault, um, mm-hmm. to where you go and buy the big ERP system and, and the CRM and you, you know, you, you spend way too much on that stuff. And, and the bigger, yeah. better your systems are and your processes are, the more management, they, the more general management or overhead they require to operate and, and run efficiently. Otherwise, you know, you end up, it's like if you bought like a big CNC machine, for example, right? Like that can mill, mill metal out, right? Um, that's a very capable machine, right? In the right hands. But it's it's not going to just plop in your in your in your in your workshop and start pumping out and pumping out product. There's a massive investment involved in training up on the machine, learning how to use it, learning how to use it efficiently. And software and processes with business are the exact same way. Um, and so it's very easy to like try to say, okay, we're going to develop all these processes and we're going to put all these gates and all this you know agile or water flow or blah blah blah. You know, and all that stuff is great, but they're really designed for large organizations that, that, that can't keep up the race of hiring a plus people every single time, you know, they can try, but processes are there because like Walmart has a billion processes because they want to hire people that don't have to think, you know, but as long as you're hiring in startup phase, anyway, as long as you're hiring people that can think for themselves and and, and do it well, um, you can, you can get really far without a lot of that stuff. Um, so and both in software, and we, we early on invest in the software called NetSuite, um, which is a, a very heavy piece of software that we, we, we were implementing when we were still in the basement, um, which is unheard of, right? And, 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 you know, and, and you can make the argument that um, you know, it set us up for success and growth and all this kind of stuff, but really all I think it did was it, it caused us to spin our wheels on it, right? It, it, almost, it was so big, and we just didn't have the... the, the the grunt to manage it properly and just put a big weight on our shoulders. You know what I mean? I do. You're basically saying develop and spend as you need it. Not before. Yeah. You should be, you should be like, like bleeding. You know what I mean? Because of before you go out and buy a new system or whatever, you've got to be desperate for it right before you go do it. If you're just like, Oh, I want to prepare for the future. Like just, just try not to do that. And again, just be very pragmatic about stuff mm-hmm. um, when it comes to things like that processes and systems and purchases and capital investments and things like that. Just be very, very pragmatic about it. Um, and, uh, and try not to be too crafty with your, with your, your five-year strategy or whatever. And, uh, and the other thing was um, just be more data-driven, know your numbers. Um, it's one thing that just from, just from being naive, not being trained, um, when, when we started this company, we, neither of us had any idea what the numbers really were ever. Mm-hmm. Um, we kept, we always asked ourselves the question, where the heck is all the money? I mean, we, we saw how much we were making every month. And then we, when it came to go buy something or do something, like the cash wasn't there. And partly because we just didn't have the understanding of how all that worked. Um, partly because we have the right people in place, right. That was managing things properly, you know, reporting properly, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, you should know your numbers. You should know, you know, your, your top line, your bottom line, your margins, your cost of goods. Um, you know, your, 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 I, I, ideally your cost per customer and all that's all those metrics. I mean, you, your KPIs are, it sounds very corporate and stuff, but it actually is really valuable. And it's to be being more data driven in general, you know, you don't have to be overly processed or rigid to, to still do things from a data driven perspective. Um, like you, you know, you talk with your program, right? You, you 
set up the funnels and you basically end up with that number. That's a very important number, right? You yes. as much you're gonna get a customer. Like that's really useful stuff. And you don't have to be, you know, Cisco or IBM or whatever to do that um, with today's tools. And, this, and you know, starting a business yeah. today, by the way, is a whole lot easier than it was 10 years ago. Um, and that is it when it comes to back to the hiring thing, like with this with this next thing, um, I only want to be in charge of in-house marketing and product development. Everything, all, all the back-end stuff I want to outsource, finance, um, fulfillment, customer service, you know, all that stuff like HR, all that stuff, payroll, I want it out. Of, I don't want to have to oversee that because, again, that's just a ton of extra management and stuff that you have to deal with every day. Um, and you should be focused on I hear you. you. Are good at. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that was just the theme of the last podcast too. Uh, I was talking to James Swanick of uh, Swanee's Blue Blocking Glasses and he's like, Oh man, because he grew to, to over a million dollars in revenue in eighteen months, and he's like, the I asked him the question like, well, you know, what did what did you struggle with? And he just like went on a rant. I think I asked for one thing, and he just listed ten. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the big ones is just like, know where to spend your time. Yeah, as well. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Oh. and it's like story of my life every day because you have the busier you get, the more choices you have for what to focus on. Yep. And you have to, I have to like intentionally sit down and say, here yep. are my 50,000 things. No, what is the main one? Absolutely. Um, yep. Or else you just spin your wheels. Yeah. As the founder, again, you should be, you should be hot. You spending, you know, as you get bigger, that number gets larger, but some percentage of time on hiring personal development. And then you, for the, the other stuff, the other leftover percent, 60%, whatever it is. Yeah. You spend, you know, doing the tasks that impact the business the most, right? And everything else you delegate. But again, you're delegating to highly competent individuals that you would, you know, trust your life to. So you do those things and <laughs> you're doing better than most people. Oh, so true. It's great. And anyways, I would love to, well, you and I are going to keep talking offline anyways, because we're working together. But um, my last question is, is there anything else I should have asked you, but I didn't? Um, I don't know, probably, but I can't think of anything. All right. So you asked, actually, you asked me if you could plug something. Yeah, no, I was, um, yeah, so we never, what we, well, I guess what we didn't really talk about was, you know, like all the stuff that, all these lessons and stuff I'm applying to this next business, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a, a simple product business that, you know, I've invented this product, I want to, I want to get it out there fast and hard, um, and and I'm kind of getting my 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 chops or back on on online marketing and all the stuff that I kind of like. So now as part of small HD, I don't. I really just sit in an office all day and look at spreadsheets, which is what happens, by the way, when you get to a certain size with a bunch of financial controllers and stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's actually back into the entrepreneur side, the startup side. It's, it's going to be really fun. I kind of miss all stuff, you know, building web pages and you know doing ads and and, and just scrapping your way through with, with no money. I mean, it's like mo money, mo problems is, is actually like a true statement. Um, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to getting back to having no money almost and having to learn all of these techniques and stuff over again. Um, but with this new frame in mind. Um, so yeah, we're launching this thing. It's a cell phone accessory. Um, you can go to get like, Oh snap, get is the website. You can check it out. Um, it's pretty cool, and, and, and uh, we're going to try and get it out into the world pretty soon, and um, it's going to be really fun. Yeah, really stoked for it. Yeah. Um, awesome. Cool. This is great. Oh, oh. Um, yeah, because you had something. Were you about You're... to wrap up? Because there's one other thing. Um, so yes. as part of this new venture, I am looking for um, a marketing uh, person. So yeah, back to hiring the right person. If you feel like you're the you're someone out there who's really good at marketing, marketing strategy, um, you know, that kind of thing, um, reach out to me because we, you know, I'm looking for someone I can work with in this new venture. So, um, you can email me at, um, dale at F O R N O M.com. Um, there's probably a contact link on gettosnap.com as well. They'll probably go straight to me because I'm the only one working for this company right now. So it's gotta go to me <laughs> for sure. I'll be sure to put that, um, like that link in the show notes too. Okay, cool. For it. But cool. yeah, this is awesome. Thanks so much for like jiving with me for an hour. Yeah. I know. Um, or man, that was crazy. Yeah. I, I, hope it was, I hope it was useful to somebody, you know, I never know. 
But. Let's hope so. Cool. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. Thank you. Man, isn't it funny how a lot of us don't take the advice we're given until we've been burned? I'm definitely like that. So when Dale was talking about how you need to hire the right people, it really resonated with me because I think I got uh, the most peace of mind in my business completely when I decided to um, that it was more important to spend money on hiring the right people than nickeling and diming because ultimately it's just going to hurt you in the long run. So I really love the whole lessons learned from a successful entrepreneur and then you know going back to ground zero. So I'm really stoked for this launch with him. Um, all the links that he mentioned are in the show notes at crowdfundinguncut.com. If, uh, also, if you're looking for some free crowdfunding resources, I have completed a uh, crowdfunding product launch checklist, which is like over six months, how do you prepare for a product launch? So we have that available at crowdfundinguncut.com. But if you're looking for a little bit of extra something, something, we also have the Crowdfunding Product Launch Academy. So for a $1 seven-day trial, go to crowdfundingproductlaunchacademy.com. We have a full Facebook community of people asking crowdfunding questions and going in there with, with tips and tricks and giving you tailored advice, as well as we have a library of video content to help you with your journey. So that's crowdfundingproductlaunchacademy.com. Apart from that, I'll talk to you next week for episode 105. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like The Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.